We're reading the first 16 verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians, written by Paul, who describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and he describes his, uh, the Ephesians as the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So chapter 4, 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds. Oh, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If, uh, if you're visiting today, a, a warm welcome to you. Uh, before we get underway, I've got to admit uh, my disorganisation. If you're following the outline, I've changed it. <laughs> okay, so... Um, so hopefully it doesn't confuse Just one little change. Uh, halfway down the page, uh, it's got four application questions. I'm going to be putting that at the start where it should have been from the beginning, but um, just so you don't get lost and I lose you at the very beginning of the sermon. So. All right, uh, why don't we pray as we come to God's Word? <clears throat> Our Lord, we know that you love your church, uh, not because uh, inherently we are lovely, but because uh, you you are a loving God and you have loved us and you, uh, by your Son, created the church and by your Spirit you are renewing us and you have promised to complete what you have begun. So, Lord, help us uh, see the church, see who we are, uh, see your agenda for us through your eyes. Um, 
so that we might live in a way that honours you. Uh, So I pray that your word would speak to us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start with a quote by a guy called Tristan Harris. Uh, He worked at Google uh, and he... He's behind uh, a Netflix kind of docudrama thing uh, on, on social, about social media. It's called The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it because uh, I'm not going to be able to explain, explain it fully up here. But Now, this, this docudrama, it's been translated into over 190 languages. Uh, 100 million people seem to have watched it, they think. So it's, it's got some... It's worth listening to. Here's the quote. We are now years into a mass societal warping process that has made us into a different kind of species, frankly. Uh, A species that is addictive, distracted, polarised, narcissistic, misinformed, list keeps going, (laughs) anxious, depressed, unsure of what's true, apathetic. Well, (laughs) okay, if even half of that quote is true, um, we need to have a look at how the digital world is is affecting us as a church family and and how we live to honour the Lord. So today we look at the topic of being the church in a digital age. Uh, And this is the start of four weeks on four topics that have the potential to undermine uh, us being the church. Uh, We'll either succumb to our culture or these four topics, if we see the church through God's eyes and live live as he calls us to, these four topics also give us an opportunity to show the world a better way, uh, an alternative the good life in belonging to God's people. With any truth, knowing the theory is essential. It's essential to have good doctrine. And and we've had five weeks now of looking at the truth in God's word. Uh, But we don't glorify God by being able to frequently and passionately uh, just say truth. That's not how we glorify God. We glorify God, obviously we need to say truth, but we glorify God when that truth grips our hearts and changes the way we live. I can say I believe in God's sovereignty, for instance, until the cows come home, and I, and I do, and I hope I do for the rest of my life. But do I accept every circumstance as coming from the sovereign hand of God, or do I rally against it? Do I pray is my first instinct because I know he is sovereign? Do you get what I mean? Knowing the truth and it gripping you to the point of change, that's what matters. And that's why we've picked these four topics uh, because as elders we think uh, this could really either undermine or make the church flourish depending on how we approach these topics. So today I've already introduced it is about being the church in the digital age. Um, And the next three is going to be uh, being the church in an individualistic culture. And third one is being the church in a hostile society. And then we'll finish off with being the church in light of our eternal hope. 
So that's where we're heading. Uh, so before we get into this, or it's not before, uh, an important first step of getting into this topic is to refresh ourselves uh, in knowing what the church is and what we are called to be through God's eyes. That the church is to be a foretaste of heaven. So through God's eyes, we see that the church is central to his eternal plans. Uh, We see in Genesis 2, albeit a community of two people, but gathered perfectly in worship, uh, enjoying God's presence until sin disrupts that, uh, breaks that unity, creating hostility between man and God and God to man and hostility between people. And the judgment is being scattered. The essence of the word church is gathering. God wants a gathered people to himself. In Exodus 19, we see Israel gathered at the mountain under the law, but that gathering fails again because of sin. It was only a picture of the true gathering that would come through Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew 16? As soon as they say, you are the Christ, the first expression of faith, he says, I'm going to build my church. That's why I've come. That's why I'm going to die and rise, to build my church. And what do we see at the end of Scripture? The church, the bride, the new Jerusalem glorified, the dwelling place with God and man. It's central. Church is absolutely central to God's eternal plans. Through God's eyes, uh, we understand this gathering in a, is, is a spiritual reality. Uh, the sin of living for self uh, that has made us hostile to God and has caused so much dysfunction between people has been conquered. Uh, we, we see in Hebrews 12 that this new gathering in Christ is... Uh, is victorious over sin. It's victorious over death. Uh, It's marked by peace and unity and joy. Uh, As we we heard read in Ephesians 4, it is so united with one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We are gathered into Christ. We're not isolated Christians. To be saved is to be gathered. And this gathering is permanent. This spiritual gathering is is permanent. Uh, We saw that in Hebrews 12, that when God judges and shakes everything, heaven and earth, the final judgment, what is left standing? Nothing but the church. It is permanent. That's where you find security in life. But how is this gathering to be expressed now? Well, through God's eyes, we see that uh, this spiritual heavenly gathering is not expressed in some vague notion of being the universal church because, remember, church is about gathering. It's in local church families like this one. It's a functioning body showing the unity, uh, the peace that has been created. I don't know who I'm quoting here. Um, Emma reminded me of this quote. It's, it's some Bible teacher, but 
uh, uh, I can't remember. Um, can you be a Christian and not value and be committed to a local church? Don't be a silly sausage. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, if that helps you, maybe. It, it just, there's nothing in the Bible about that. Uh, to be gathered is to be in the local church. It's, that's how you express it. Know who you are. I'm going to say in a way that doesn't make sense and technically isn't correct, I am the church. I know that doesn't make sense. It's not correct. We are the church. But you're not just part of the church. It's the fundamental thing about who you are. We are the people of God. It's not just you attend church. You are the church. We are the church. We express that locally, being gathered uh, not choosing who you relate to, but it's it's a community created by grace across ages, across personalities, across cultures. It, 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 it's, it's everyone who's been saved and under the lordship of Jesus. That's what the local church is to express. And through God's eyes, we see our agenda, what, what we're called to be, do as the church and it's not primarily about social welfare though individual Christians might do all these things it's not about being a moral watchdog to try and make Australia Christian it's not about living separate from society and just condemning society it's not even to be a functioning machine to be to do as much evangelism as we can no our agenda in scripture is to be be the church. Love one another. That's how you'll show that you're my disciples. Uh, Ephesians 3, 9 to 11 is a, is a key passage. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rules and authorities in the heavenly places. God is glorified in his unified church. It's as we focus on being the church, that's when we'll be a, a winsome invitation to the world. Look look what life is like being gathered to Jesus. And through God's eyes, we see that the structure of a healthy, functioning body of a local church is that Christ is head. He is head, ruling by his word that, that can change our hearts, by his spirit. And he gives leaders to teach and model and govern in order, we see in Ephesians 4, in order, uh, what verse is it? Uh, verse 12, to equip the saints. You are a saint if you're a believer. If you, if you, uh, a saint is being set apart for God. Uh, the leaders are to equip all the people for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Every person ministry, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, verse 15 tells us what to do. We're all to be speaking the truth in love. Uh, verse 16. Uh, uh, it, it's a bit of a uh, complex statement, but it's, uh, so Christ is the head, but from whom the whole body... And then what does the whole body do? You've got to jump to a few phrases. 
the whole body makes the body grow. So it's not the leader's job to make the body grow. It's the body's job to make the body grow. Through every joint and ligament, we need everyone speaking the truth uh, in love, the truth being God's truth. That's when the body grows. That's when we'll be a compelling witness of the salvation in Jesus. So through God's eyes, what do you think? Can you see that church is a foretaste of heaven? If we understand our salvation is to be the church, if we understand our calling is primarily about being the church, if you're looking forward to heaven, which is about the church glorified in the presence of God, what will that look like? It will look like a high value and a high engagement in a local church. So, uh, having refreshed ourselves on God's view of the church, and it's exciting, Um, it's well worth our time going over that. We need to keep this lens as we come to this question about being the church in a digital age. Now, by digital, uh, let me just define it quickly. Like I had a digital wristwatch as a kid and it had this cool button that could light up and I could read the time at night. Now, that electronic device hardly revolutionised the world and hardly impacted the, the gathering. But the age of the internet... And the age of social media, that has revolutionised how we relate to one another, how we think. Um, I've got to narrow our focus and I've, even the two topics I've narrowed it to, really we're just, uh, it, it, it's a helicopter view of these topics. But the first one is, can you do church online? That's kind of an obvious question, isn't it? Can, can we do church online? Uh, obviously, churches are trying to do that, but can, can we? Uh, the second question is, uh, obviously my introduction hinted towards this, how is social media uh, affecting how we think about relationships in the church and how we operate in the church? So that's where we're heading. Let's go with the first one now. So first, can you do church online? Uh, Well, some claim to get better sermons online. I don't think that's true. Like David and I, I think we're the best I've ever heard. Um, (laughs) I'm glad you're laughing. Um, (laughs) Am I glad? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, some claim to get better music online. Now, uh, one of the so, in other words, when you tap into the best resources, you you, you come away feeling more spiritually nourished. Um, so, one of the best examples of online church I came across, they put this church put heaps of resources like our camera. We've got cameras for Zoom, but I'm, I mean, these are like state of the art cameras, so that and all the lighting and the sound is mixed properly so that it feels like you're present. 
Um, they had dedicated online passes to welcome people and engage people in conversation, and they had chat rooms for general chit-chat. They had other chat rooms for pastors to listen to you and, and pray with you after the service. Uh, these are often churches with multiple campus sites, and, and they say that we've got an online campus, we've got an online congregation. And sometimes these congregations, these are thousands of people. Um, they're, they're reaching a lot of people. Now, let's just assume there is, there is great Bible teaching at these. Let's, let's assume all that. And it feels like attending. The quality of the service and the singing, the music, it just feels personally encouraging. Can you do church online? I've been a bit sneaky um, in the way I frame that question. Uh, partly to demonstrate, I think, it is so easy to leave God's view of church behind when you start asking these questions. Can you do church online? You've already made a misstep, as if it's about attending a service. Can you be church online? That, that's the question. If church is about a worship meeting, which provides a spiritual service to the customers, to nourish you individually and as a family, then attending is all that matters. But if it's about being, if God, if, uh, if God is glorified through just numbers, some of these churches, they're glorifying God way more than we are if it's just about reaching people. But if God is glorified through unity and true interpersonal, interdependent, speaking the truth in love, community. Well, uh, I'm just going to phrase it in a bunch of questions. Um, how, in what sense being online are you gathered? Like, just uh, in what sense? Um, in, I suppose there's some level of conversation. How can the diversity in the body of Christ that crosses ages and, and crosses cultures and personalities, how can that be demonstrated, the peace that Jesus has created and the common worship, how is that expressed online? Uh, you Talk to me afterwards if, if you convince me. Obviously, you know where I'm going that I don't think you can do all these things, but I'm not sure you can really express that. Uh, where is good accountability? Uh, we're told in Ephesians 4, we're going to be tossed to and fro. If we're not speaking the truth in love to one another, we will be just little children just tossed around by the world. Where is the accountability online? If you can just choose when to tune in, tune out, how much to say about your life. Like, it's, it's a bit harder to keep life hidden when... Like, I've got toothpaste all over me this morning because of getting out this morning. Someone might notice that. I'll probably declare that now. But <laughs> being together, there's just, I think, a level of you can't hide as, as easily to be accountable to one another. How can the body sing to one another? As Colossians 3 tells us to do. I think online it's much easier to hide our struggles 
and our sin? Like, how do you look a brother in the eye who just confessed their sin to you and before you've even said a word, just by body language, they already are sensing that, that they're, they're not condemned by you? How, how can you express? I'm not sure you can do that well online. Like, how, do you, how do you give that person a hug? Like, how do you hold the hand of a dying person while you pray for them? How do you relate online at a depth where it is extremely difficult to maintain peace? <laughs> because you're, such, you're so in each other's lives and it's, you've got such differences that we're called like be eager to maintain the peace. Like This is going to be hard work. Look, if, if you can convince me that you can be a functioning, united, inter, interpersonal interdependent body online, then, uh, th- then maybe church online is, is going to be glorifying to God. But Look, while online churching is relatively new, uh, believers claiming to be part of the universal church and sitting loose to the local church, that, that, um, that's not new, is it? So I want to clarify, technology is not the problem. It's not the root problem. I don't think. Uh, in person, we could easily just form clicks. Uh, in person, we could easily try and hide what's really going on in life, what's going on in our minds. We could make uh, tune in or tune out. We can do that all in person. So technology isn't the root problem. It's whether or not we see church through God's eyes. That's That's... That's the important thing. If we know who we are, who we're called to be, the body, that, that, that we're not just throwing the word family out there, like that is what we are. But as a tool, online church can supplement and, and bolster being the body, can't it? Those who are sick and, and would love to be here we now have that they can at least be ministered to to some extent on Zoom. What a wonderful, wonderful tool. Um, our website is often the first point of contact for people finding us. That's a good tool. It contains recordings for those in Grace Kids and Crash who miss out on the teaching, who sacrifice being here now for, for the kids, uh, for the whole body, so they can catch up. Or, or we can re-listen to it to get to get more of soak it in more. Um, it, online gives opportunities, I think, for isolated missionaries who would love to be part of a local church to be encouraged to, to connect in, maybe. Um, so I think online church can supplement being the body, but um, my opinion is it can't replace it if we stick with what God says the church is. Okay, that's online church. What about social media? This one's less obvious, and but uh, perhaps is having a much bigger impact on us as a church family than in how we relate than than on the question of online churching. Let me ask: What's filling your mind and therefore your heart? Is it connection through social media captivating your mind, or is it the local church? Feeling your mind. 
Now, I've got to confess to you, like, even preparing this week, like, the amount of times I went to Facebook and just scrolled those videos as to just get this little dopamine hit of because I was feeling stressed this week. Like, knowing this stuff and actually changing is, is another story. I want to <laughs> confess that. But, uh, and like I said earlier, while technology in and of itself is not the root problem here, it's, it's our sinful hearts and not believing what God says, when it comes to social media, um, again, it's not technology per se that's a problem. It's how it's designed. Uh, it's exploiting us. And that's why I want to quote uh, Tristan Harris. It is designed to exploit us. <laughs> now, that's why I'm saying watch this documentary thing. Uh, as soon as I say the word documentary, you're like, oh, boring. Uh, I hope, maybe not. Um, please watch it. Um, it's it's really eye-opening. Let me just quickly try and summarise. Um, consider this. The company Meta, which, which as you know, owns Facebook, Instagram, uh, it's worth $734 billion US dollars. Like, wow. Now, how much... Are you paying to subscribe to Facebook? I haven't paid a cent. Now, the old saying goes, <laughs> if it's free, you're the product. And that's Tristan Harris's point in this social dilemma. Uh, put simply, he's saying your attention, your attention is how these big tech companies make a lot of money. Like, have you noticed how precise those ads that come up are? Like, Talk about feeding my idols. It knows exactly what <laughs> what I want to be thinking about but don't need to be. Or, or have you noticed, like, you've been scrolling Facebook like I admitted to, like, oh, half an hour's gone by and you've just been watching silly videos. Uh, or have you noticed that when you put a post or a video online, you, you, might, you, you just want to know how many likes are there, how many views have there been? Uh, or have you noticed when you're using social media, it almost feels socially rude not to reply within a few minutes? I feel that. I don't know if anyone else does. It, the point is, none of this is accidental. Uh, it's designed to keep us hooked because our attention is big business. And so Tristan Harris makes the point that we worry about artificial intelligence kind of taking over us when... Uh, when it's stronger than us, when it can take our jobs and uh, when it can beat us at chess and stuff. <laughs> like, uh, we worry about AI when it takes over the world, but he's saying AI is already undermining our weaknesses. It's already exploiting our weaknesses. I'll let you watch it because uh, I've, I've gone into explaining it enough. It's... Uh, I think it's deceptive. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's an example of what we hear in Ephesians 4 of human cunning to toss us to and fro. It's deceptive because it, it, it promises that we're connecting into the world. But what it is is a mirror turned in on self because uh, like when you watch Netflix... 
I don't know if you watch Netflix. If, if you watch a streaming service, you know that when they say, hey, do you want to watch something like this? You know it's tailored to your personal preferences. But all these, all these social media things, it is tailored to personal choices. It knows what our attention is going to and it just keeps feeding whatever grabs our attention. It's a mirror on self. We think we're connecting with the world, but it's actually just reinforcing self. That's de uh, it's, it's deceptive, I think. It promises connection to our diverse world when it's really just reinforcing self-personal choice. So I'm going to suggest three ways that social media can be filling our minds when it should be the church filling our minds with truth. I'm going to start with a more obvious one, and that is our attention during church. Uh, I've, uh, I'm in two minds about this illustration. I'm going to go for it. I'll probably regret it. Uh, at Bible college, there was, there was a class, a particular class. Now, this only happened in one class. It didn't happen in all the classes at Bible college because I know this church helped pay my way through Bible college. But during the lecture, during the lecture, there was this Facebook messenger group of people in the chat, just a constant stream of funny remarks based on what's going on in the room. Now, I had this choice. Do I belong to the crowd and feel like I belong to the group or do I listen <laughs> That was, that was so tempting, the choice. Do I listen to the truth that is meant to be building up the church? I want to share that because I think that could be an illustration for how social media is grabbing our attention during church, yes, but also during the week. We have at, at, Giving our attention is a moral choice. What is grabbing our attention? If, if, if notifications are disrupting you from God's word, um, cut it off. Uh, it, it will feel painful, but uh, cut it off. Uh, I'm, by cutting off, I mean if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's what I'm referring to here. Because just that feedback loop loop of uh, promising connection based on your preferences, is, it's, it's just superficial relating and it's filling your mind with consumerism because it's targeting exactly where you're tempted. But if, if you give your mind to the church, speaking the truth in love, it fills your mind with the sacrifice of Christ. It fills your mind with the calling to sacrifice your life for what lasts. It's, what are you filling your mind with during church but also throughout the week? Uh, the second way I think it could be impacting us is it's deceiving us into a sense of belonging but without truly being known. Uh, I think a lot of the affirmation that goes on, like we're, we're creatures, we're built for social affirmation, we're built for it. God designed us that way, but so much of what 
we're affirmed for online, isn't it? Playing happy families, pictures, and right, I've, I've got the house and I'm renovating it and um, look how beautiful I am. And right, Apparently Instagram, as a side note, automatically adds a 5% beauty filter. Right? doesn't work on me, but anyway, it's... Um, now, you have to clarify whether that's still the case. That's a few years old, that, that remark. But the point is, it's, it's trying to reinforce your value is tied to your beauty. Come to this platform. Um, we, we, we try and get affirmation based on like work accomplishments and what we're doing and even our personal struggles. Like When we declare our personal struggles, are we really offering for people to speak the truth in love? Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you are. But being the Christ Church, where people are speaking the truth in love, it's it's assuring you of what's true. It's saying you are loved by God. You are in the family of God, not based on anything you do, not based on your beauty, not based on your your house and renovations, and not not based on anything else. It, you are in the family of God when we give ourselves to truth. So we choose between a very superficial form of connection and affirmation or giving ourselves to the church and having deep truth filling our souls and affirming us, being truly known. You seeing me, warts and all, and saying, you are loved by God, now let me help you, brother, in, in living for God more. That, that's, that's been truly known. The third way I think it can be impacting us is polarisation. A feedback loop that is based on your preferences is going to give you a sense that you're well-informed, that you're sur- but what's really going on is you're surrounding yourself with the same view, people with the same view, because that's what the algorithms do. And the other thing it does is outrage spreads faster than moderate opinion. There's more uh, shares of tweets and things where someone is going, isn't that person on the other side of this issue issue an idiot? if, If there's anything, if there's any rage, that spreads faster. So it gives us a sense that we have all the information, but really it's put us in a bubble and it's encouraging division. But being in Christ Church, it stretches our own thinking, being my thoughts being tested by the diversity of the body in an environment of humility, in an environment of security, knowing we are loved, and in that environment, that's teaching me to maintain affection while I patiently try and convince one another. It's two totally different worlds. Uh, if, if we just unthinkingly uh, come at topics through what we look at online, we've got to be aware that it's polarising us against one another and we can bring that into the church when we're called to unity for the glory of God's sake. So again, 
Social media isn't the root cause of the problem. We, we, can be at, we can be physically present at church and form cliques. We can be physically present at church and, and pretend playing happy families where no one really knows what's going on. We, we can rally around people who have our opinion and, and cast rocks at everyone else. It's not the tech per se, but this tech is aimed at undermining our propensity towards those things. But then, as a tool, hasn't it been helpful for this church family? The meal rosters, I like we've benefited from those, right? Being organised online, uh, the amount of good articles and books that people share to one another. Um, I, I know the women's, like I know secondhand. I'm not reading them, uh, but uh, through women, secondhand through Emma, like the prayer points you guys share through the Facebook group. That's a lovely thing. I know there's a lot of organisation that goes into the local, into Sunday meeting and midweek groups. Uh, even our even our connection with Matt and Grace, that's that's a great feature now that we can encourage them from afar. Uh, I have no idea of all the one to one conversations that are happening through social media. Like it is a tool, so I don't don't hear me saying I don't know it's evil. 100% evil. It's a tool. Uh, but the church needs to be what's influencing and filling our minds, not social media. So let me finish by asking, uh, what do you do? What do we do if we sense the empty promises of being totally connected 24-7 and yet you're not truly known? But then you haven't felt the depth of family, community in the church like I've, I've been talking about, we've been talking about these six weeks. What do you do? Well, I think our experience of church isn't what should guide us. We, we need it, Our starting point needs to be seeing the church through God's eyes, that, that you are the church, you do belong in Christ's body. It's according to God's eternal plan. It's by the blood of his son. You are cherished in his people. It's understanding that church is what we are. And then it's understanding it's our call to be every joint and ligament working together to build up the body. It's it's believing that that call is what we were designed for and saved for. It's knowing you are the family of God. That's what's going to get us out of our own heads. So can I just encourage you, don't wait until you feel connected. Trust God that you are connected and dive in. Do you get the difference? Don't wait until you feel connected. Trust God that you are. Spiritually, we are the family of God. So dive in. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's not settle for a cheap imitation of connection that revolves around self preferences. If we do that, we're going to be tossed to and fro by the world because 
we as a church can show a polarised, addicted, narcissistic, uh, I know that doesn't apply to absolutely everyone, but we can show the world a different way. Uh, We can show the world what unity looks like, what peace in Christ looks like, uh, and that will give great glory to God. We can show the world a glimpse of heaven. Let me finish with the words of Paul at the end of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Let's, Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, please uh, rule, rule our minds and hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, a vision for the great cost of saving us and uh, who we now are, that you are our Father, that we are one body, uh, that we are brothers and sisters called to unity, called to Uh, growth in holiness. Uh, Lord, please give us this vision so that we won't be taken in by uh, a substitute that this world offers that really leaves us feeling empty. Uh, Lord, give us this vision so that we might not just say these doctrines but live it out. Uh, Please help us to be that, that deeply connected Uh, body of Christ, uh, so that you might get the glory. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.